Welcome to Dispatches, a short-form podcast from the old front line, and me, military historian Paul Reed. In these shorter podcasts, we'll tell some of the quieter, smaller stories of the Great War. We'll share books, look at original documents, and take dispatches on the road and visit locations across that landscape of the Great War. Welcome back to another Dispatches, a short-form podcast from the old front line. Here we tackle some of the smaller stories of the First World War or take on some of the big ones and discuss them in a short amount of time, hopefully prompting perhaps a longer episode down the road. Now, during the course of my move and unpacking all my Great War material, it's prompted quite a lot of memories of visits across that landscape of the Western Front. And in that very earliest visit that I made in 1982 with my school, we went to the Sanctuary Wood Trench Museum at Hill 62 near Ypres in Flanders. And it made me think about trench museums generally. It's something that I've been interested in for quite a long time and have collected quite a lot of photographs and postcards connected to the trench museums that once existed. And going to Sanctuary Wood on that very first visit as a teenager had a great effect on me. I mean, whenever you've read about the Great War, it is always about trenches. And there, as an impressionable youngster, I actually walked into original trenches from the First World War. And there I was in that landscape of the Western Front. And it has a massive impact. And I've seen that over the years by taking Ledger battlefield groups there. It's despite this kind of ramshackle appearance and kind of abandonment that you feel when you go into the wood and there's the rusty old tin and the rotting timbers and the half-filled-in shell holes and the mud and the slime and the water in the bottom of the trenches, perhaps that's exactly what people think a trench museum should really be like. And it is one location that just kind of talking to passengers after they've been on the tour and you've taken them to Vimy and Chapval and they've attended the last post at the Menning Gate, Sanctuary Wood, those trenches are something that remains with them and certainly have remained with me. Now, some of you listening to this will think, ah, but they're fake at Sanctuary Wood. Well, I would direct you back to an earlier episode of the podcast where we dispel that myth and examine the trenches in Sanctuary Wood and talk about actually how realistic and how original they are. Now, that was the first trench museum that I went to, but what existed before that and this is something that I've learned about as I've discovered and researched and traveled across the landscape of the First World War, unearthed guidebooks from the periods, the interwar period and and come across contemporary postcards and there actually were quite a few trench museums because as we discussed again in some previous podcasts there was this growth of battlefield tourism, remembrance tourism immediately after the war. We had that fascinating chat with Professor Mark Connolly, for example, about this. And when people came into, particularly Belgium, which was the main route into those battlefields in the 1920s and 30s, a whole number of museums, private museums, grew up. Some of them just war museums, but others having trenches. 
And if we look at the top end of the Western Front at Newport, there were at least one, possibly two trench museums there. I've come across reference to one in what's called the Newport Redan. I've got postcards of this showing trenches and observation posts and concrete cupolas and all this kind of stuff, which were part of the former frontline positions there. And that was very close to where the Newport Memorial, the British Memorial to the Missing for that sector, is located today. There's a road that heads up towards Ostend, and it was just off to the left on the spot where the front lines had been, for example, in 1917 when the British were there. And there may have been another one a little bit further away. I've seen some different images of people in trenches there. It could be their miscaption, but there's certainly at least one trench museum there. Now, that is no longer there. There's no trace of that whatsoever. And I think that that finished sometime in the 1930s, even before the Second World War, because I've never seen any images of German occupying forces in those trenches, for example, which you would expect to do because they kind of photographed everything during that occupation period. Down the road, following the front through Flanders at Dixmude, which was a place where the French had fought in 1914 and then became a symbol of the, the Belgian resistance along the Isar Canal for the rest of the conflict, there were definitely two trench museums there. One still there, we're going to come onto the ones that still remain, but the Trench of Death, the Boyau de la Mort, the Doden Gang in Flemish. That was a section of the front line right alongside the canal that was preserved in concrete, very similar to the trenches at Vimy Ridge. And that became a private trench museum uh, in the interwar period. And again, there's contemporary images of that. But there was another one further down the canal where the road bridge goes over into the town at Dixmuda, near to the Isa Tower. There was another smaller trench museum there, which again disappeared sometime in the 1930s. The most famous one was the one that I first went to, Hill 62, Sanctuary Wood. That was on all of the kind of battlefield tourist circuits in the 1920s and 30s. So when you came across to Ostend and you went down on the train to Ypres and you were picked up and taken out on your battlefield tour, you would be taken to Hill 62 to the trenches at Sanctuary Wood. And I've got quite a few contemporary images of veterans there. And a lot of the great war material that is in that museum when you go there today was given by veterans in that interwar period. The Shear family acquired that section of the wood, preserved the trenches, and it remained in that family's hands up until the death of Jack Shear in uh, the early 2000s or about a dozen years ago. It's still a museum that's open. Again, we'll come to that shortly. Not far away from Hill 62, Sanctuary Wood, was another of these numbered hills. Hill 60, a place that perhaps many of you will have visited today with its bunkers and shell holes and mine craters. But directly opposite, where there's a lot of houses now, and one of those houses was part of the museum, was a trench museum in that interwar period. It was once relayed to me a museum that was started by veterans. The trenches were kind of original and kind of dug especially for the tourists, the battlefield visitors that were coming there. Henry Williamson in the Wet Flanders Plain describes souvenir tables there with children crying over the fact that the parents wouldn't allow them to buy live rounds or revolvers to take home as souvenirs. 
But the trench museum there was quite an extensive one. I've got some images of it, and we'll link this to the podcast website, and we'll put some images on there so you can see this, where there was a tower at Hill 60 where you could look down onto the trenches, all kinds of artefacts, some original features. There's some pictures of a concrete bunker that you could go into, for example. And given the number of tourist photos that I've got in albums, it was obviously, again, a bit like Sanctuary Wood, a very popular location whether there was a kind of trench museum war going on between these different locations where they were offering better deals and backhanders to some of the guides that were taking them round. I mean I think it was as Mark Connolly has, has said it's kind of a bit of the wild west in Ypres during that interwar period with the kind of accommodation and the guides that were there professing to be decorated veterans and when we researched them perhaps they weren't so there's an interesting aside to it but what we see then developing is a network of these trench museums within Belgium. Down on the French sector so when we cross the border from Belgium and we come into France there's very little there was nothing in northern France as far as I'm aware there were of course the trenches that were eventually preserved on Vimy Ridge but is that a trench museum or just a preservation of part of the landscape there's kind of a grey area there the Newfoundland Park, of course, was constructed, but that was a memorial park rather than a trench museum. And even on the main French sectors of the Western Front, kind of beyond the River Somme, the only one that I know of that was there during that interwar period was La Lange, right down in the Vosges, where the trenches were cut into rock, and that became a national memorial site. So again, is that more of a memorial, because it's called the Memorial de La Lange, or is it a trench museum? So it seems to have been a bit of a Belgian phenomena, probably driven by the volume of tourists that were coming in through Belgium in that interwar period. So given that all of those museums existed, what's left today? Well, Hill 62, of course, is still there. As I mentioned, Jack Shear, who was the last of the Shears to own it, passed away a few years ago, and he then ensured that it continued through two friends of his that manage it to this day. And it's still very, very similar to when I first went there over 40 years ago now. And I find that although I've been there probably hundreds, if possibly not more than a thousand times taking groups, it still has quite an impact on me. And I think the kind of neglected look that it has is all part of its charm, in inverted commas, if you like. Because, like I say, I think this is exactly what a trench museum in the minds of most people would look like. It's got one or two strange bits kind of in the museum side of it, but once you're in the wood and you're walking through those trenches, particularly as you go further beyond the initial area of where the trenches are into what is quite a well-preserved part of the second-line position where you've got machine gun bays, trench mortar bays, what looks like the beginning of a, a latrine bay there as well and a link up with some of the communication trenches that once extended across the fields back towards Zillabeek. So it gives us quite a good idea and you can follow a secondary communication trench into the tunnel there and a lot of people think that the tunnel is faked. It's not, it's original, built by the Royal Engineers probably sometime in 1916 to take men underground up towards the very front line on Hill 62 itself because with the dominance of the hill up there 
the best way to move men up was not in an open communication trench that could be seen by the enemy, but to take them through tunnels up towards the forward zone in that respect. And you can have that kind of experience, not with the crumps pummeling the roof, but certainly get a kind of insight into that kind of world by walking through those tunnels with your boots on, it's muddy and it's dirty and there are health and safety issues and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, if we want to kind of get an idea of the landscape of the First World War, what it was like during the conflict as much as we ever can, then that's a good way of doing it. The Trench of Death survives up in the northern part of Flanders. It's now run by the Belgian military, Belgian government, and it's still, again, a very impressive location with those concreted trenches and bunkers and machine gun positions. And when you walk along, you stand on the parapet and you look over the the top or across the canal and imagine the Germans are literally just across on the other side. You can see how close both sides were. And there's a, a new modern museum there that tells the story of it where you can go right up to the top of the tower and look down on the trenches to get a an insight into the kind of hickledy-pickledy nature of them. And we kind of think perhaps that trenches were rigid in their construction that was a standard way of doing it but of course the landscape dictated how trenches were built and where they were placed and you get a sense of that for sure when you go to the trenches of death that northern part of Flanders the quiet sector between the top end of the Ypres salient and the coast is a really fascinating location to visit and something that we must return to in the main old frontline podcasts Le Lange, which we mentioned down in the French sector, the Western Front, that's still there as well. Again, that is an incredibly impressive place and one that we will do a proper podcast on in due course. When you stand there and you get into the trenches and you see, again, how close both sides were once the French had come up this sheer slope and captured the forward German positions and how they fought hand-to-hand in those trenches and the whole makeup of it, it's just an incredible place and the views from it as well I mean I've been there in the winter when you kind of look across the valley and this snow-capped mountains and you're thinking that men had to exist not just fight but exist in those kind of conditions as well so these give a you know a very good impression of different parts of the front and different aspects of what it was like to experience trench warfare but there have been some new trench museums that have followed on behind one that I didn't mention from my very first visit in 1982 that at the time I thought was an original trench museum was Krunart Wood, run by André Beckar in those days. You went in through his little soldier's canteen, which was full of Great War memorabilia, and he had a, a big Bertha shell case filled to the top with shrapnel balls that he used to scoop out a little handful and hand them to you. And I've, I've still got my little sachet of those that I got from him on that very first visit. And then you went out into the wood and he had big bay windows where he had a collection of Pickelhaubers, German spiked helmets on. And then when you looked at them closely, you suddenly realised that they were being displayed on top of human skulls that he dug out of this wood. And he used to relate how it was an original trench museum, how Hitler had fought there, all kinds of tales. We've told some of those in an episode on Bayernwald on Krunartwood in a previous podcast. But again, going there, it had a massive impression on me. But what I didn't realise at the time, that it was fake. That Andre Beckar had actually constructed those trenches in the 1970s. They bore no relation to the trenches that were there at the time. While the bunkers within the wood were original, the rest of it 
was kind of made up by him. Now, when he died in 1986, it sat empty for a long time, and eventually a group of archaeologists and local authority moved in, and they created Bayenwald, which some of you may well know today. That's a part of the Messines Ridge, which you get access to via the Kemmel Tourist Office, and you can go in there and see properly constructed German trenches from the period on the exact site where those trenches were, laid out in the original way, using the original materials and methodology to construct those trenches, a really interesting location to go to, and the bunkers are now properly incorporated into that whole thing. So that's there as well. And moving down into northern France, at Notre-Dame-de-Lorette, there is the little museum on the crest of the ridge there, run by David Bardieu, who's a long-time collector and historian of that part of the front. And sometime in the 90s, I think it was, he constructed a whole trench system at the back of the museum there based on original trench maps, and he filled it full of memorabilia, Hotchkiss machine guns, mortar pits, and all this kind of stuff, and you can wander through there. Now, it's not, in my mind, as impressive as some of the other trench museums, but it is certainly worth going to. And the museum, they're small, but really, really good, with a lot of incredible original material in it and a whole collection of 3D stereoscopic viewers. You see those in Sanctuary Wood as well, but they're not just unique to Sanctuary Wood. There were quite a few museums that had these, and there's a good collection of them at Notre Dame de la Rette. That's um, an example of a more recent trench museum. But the best of all, which, again, we've had a separate episode for on this podcast, and one that I visited again this year with a ledger group who were kind of totally, totally blown away by what they saw there, is the Mandemassage in the Champagne battlefields. And this is on a hill where the ravines of the hill, the kind of the geography of the hill looks like the fingers of a hand. So the main, le main is a hand in French, so the hand of Massage. The... Both sides met on the crest of that hill, fought there in the early phase of the war. The war went underground. There were mines blown on the crest. And when you go there, there are a couple of original mine craters with a whole network of trenches constructed around it. Now, they are reconstructed trenches, but they're done using original methodology, original materials, and original records and air photos and maps from the time. They found the remains of soldiers while they were doing the work and they were subsequently reburied. And it's populated with all kinds of First World War material that came from a local collector within the nearby village. And it is truly an incredible place to visit. I think it's the nearest that we get to experience not what the trenches were like. I don't think we can ever really do that, but it's the nearest we get to experience what they look like. It looks to me every time I go there like some of the contemporary images that I've got of the battlefields as they were in the 20s and 30s. The trenches are empty. There's no soldiers in them. There's no fighting going on. They are still there in the 20s and 30s, and that's what this looks like, really, when we go to the Man de Massage. And it really should be the top of the list of anyone who wants to explore that landscape of the of the Western Front. And not enough people go there. Talking to the association that, that runs it, they are looking to get funding to open it as a proper trench museum in the future. And I really, really welcome that. So in this dispatches, and I hope this will be typical of quite a few more to come, we've kind of taken a thought, taken an idea, taken a subject, in this case trench museums, had a little chat about it. And, and I think that's quite an important thing to do in these short form podcasts because 
you know, these trench museums, they're not just kind of gimmicks for people to go to, tourists to go and visit and the tills to, to ching as another group of people come in. There's much more to it. You know, it, it's, it's tactile history that we can reach out and touch because when we study the Great War, it is a war of trenches. It's trench warfare, that troglodyte world of the First World War, of the Great War, of the men who were there and experienced those troglodyte conditions in those trenches of the landscape of the Western Front. For them, almost certainly, their defining moment on the old front line. You've been listening to Dispatches, part of the Old Front Line podcast, with me, military historian Paul Reed. If you've enjoyed this episode, please think about leaving a review on your favourite podcast platform, giving us a rating, and leaving a comment on the podcast website, oldfrontline.co.uk. You can follow us on Twitter, and if you want to support the podcast, you can find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash oldfrontline, or buy me a coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash oldfrontline. Thanks for listening and see you again soon.